0: When we create space for God to move, it's amazing what God actually does in our lives. And when you are intentional, whether you're fasting or whether you're praying, to put time aside to actually give that space to God, it's amazing how God actually redeems that space and a whole bunch of other spaces in your life. You know, I think in this generation, we are more busy than what we've ever been. I remember years ago when I was a sales rep, uh, who remembers the days of pages, even before mobile phones, and uh, even before we had computers? And I used to, when it used to be a sales rep. I'd have to write down all my notes and things like that. And someone used to say to me, "But you know, when the computers are out and they're in full force, we're going to save so much money on paper. No, we're going to spend. We're going to save so much money on time because everything's going to be computer run. But who knows that our lives have been busier than what they've ever have been? But the thing is, is we can get so busy that we can actually lose the revelation of actually creating space to engage with the Holy Spirit and engage with the Spirit of God and actually set aside time for God to actually speak to us and bring peace and to bring guidance into our world. And so I want to talk to you for a few moments as we come to the end of our fasting period to remind us again of the space that we create for God is the most important space in our lives. Not just the space for your family or the space for your health or for the other spaces for your enjoyment, but when you actually create space for God, it is amazing what God will do in your life and how that space redeems all the other spaces in your life. So I'm going to talk to you about that today. And one of the great passages that God's been speaking to me about is the whole site of the first temple in the Old Testament. And First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 20 to 26 And then we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1, talks about the foundation of the temple and how that space that was dedicated was so significant in the future years. And it says this, it says, While Arunah was threshing wheat, he turned and he saw the angel, his four sons who were with him, and they hid themselves. Then David approached, and when Arun looked and saw him, He left the threshing floor and he bowed down before David with his face to the ground. So that we're kind of inserting ourselves in this particular story where there's a plague that's ripping through Israel and David is arriving at this place where he wants to set up an altar so that he can actually worship God and actually stop the plague. And Arun said to David, and David said to him, let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord. That the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. And Arunah said to David, take it. Let my lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing slays for the wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give all of this. But King David replied to Arun, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the lord what is yours. Or a sacrifice, a burnt offering that has cost me nothing. So David paid Aruana 600 shekels of gold for the site. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him with the fire from heaven on the altar of the burnt offering. And so we see that David arrives at this ordinary place and sets up an altar, and it was that very act of worship that the Bible says that actually stopped the plague. But look what ha- happens further on in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Now we know that David had been looking for a site to actually establish the temple of God and God said to him, hey listen, you're not going to build it because there's been so much blood in your hands, but I'm going to get your son to build it. And so we see here at the beginning of 2 Chronicles how King Solomon begins to build the temple of God. And it says this, Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David. It was on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite, the place provided by David. Church, this ordinary place, this just simple piece of dirt, this personal space, Of this ordinary guy, as he gave it to God, becomes the foundation of the first temple. I mean, think about the significance of that. It becomes the place now where man meets God. It becomes the place where heaven and earth collide on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And do you know what makes this ordinary place so significant? What, what is it about this ordinary piece of dirt that God chooses for his temple? Have you ever wondered the acts in our own lives that God favours? Have you ever thought about the decisions that we make that God blesses? You and I throughout our whole lives, we would make millions and millions of decisions But if you were to separate all the good and the bad ones, which are the ones that bring the blessing of God? Which are the decisions and the acts and the behaviours that invoke the favour of the Holy Spirit? It's simply the things in our lives that we hand over to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when we give our ordinary spaces, and this is really the point of this message, when we give our ordinary spaces over to God, he transforms them into something powerful and significant, something that's life-changing, something that goes well beyond our generation for future generations. See, there's something powerful when you and I say, hey, this space that is mine, that maybe I've worked for it and maybe I own it and maybe it's precious to me, that when I give it over to God, and we're not just talking about physical things, but we're talking about attitudes and ideas as well. That when we give these things over to the Holy Spirit, He has the amazing ability to transform those things into something supernatural that can be a blessing for many generations to come. You think about it. When we think about the old, the, the temple in the Old Testament, we look at the grandeur of the temple. And we look at the significance of what Solomon had built. But the foundation of what it was built upon, the foundation of where it was built, was built on a simple man's threshing floor and his desire to hand it over to God. Church, this is grassroots for our faith. The buildings aren't grassroots. Oh, the success of what God is doing in Christianity around the world. The grassroots of our faith. If this personal devotion of individual, ordinary people like you and I, that say, Holy Spirit, our ordinary spaces, we're going to give them over to you. And you do something powerful with those places. The spaces that God blesses and honours. The spaces in our lives where God moves. The spaces in our lives where we see a multiplication of the Holy Spirit's blessing, where God transforms and empowers. I want to talk to you about those spaces for a few moments. I want to give you three things that I see out of this passage that I think can apply to us today when it comes to the spaces that we hand over to God. The first one is this. is very often they are common spaces. Everyone say that after me. Common spaces. In other words, anywhere where you desire to meet with the Lord... He will meet you there. And what I love about this is that it reminds us again that God will meet us anywhere. It doesn't need to be in the perfect place or the perfect uh, site. Think about it. David chooses this site to set up an altar because of convenience, not because of significance. There's a plague sweeping for Israel and and David knows that he needs to operate quickly. He needs to sort this thing out because the longer he waits, the more people are going to die. And so the place for worship, the place maybe where he in- intended to go was still a bit of a further away. And so David is running out of time. And the more he waits, the more problematic it is going to become. And so he arrives here at a runner's place and he says, quick, sell it to me. I need to deal with this quickly so this plague can stop. See, it's not about where or when, but it's about a simple common desire to turn to the Lord in your hour of need and turn your attention on Him. And on the threshing floor is where God will meet you in the pain and the toil and the difficulty of everyday life. And I was just reminded of that again, that if we were to turn our attention and ask God more to intervene in the common places, you and I will be surprised when and how God shows up. Listen, the strength of our faith is in the everyday encounters with the Holy Spirit. I've got to say this to you today. Some of my greatest encounters with God have not been in front of some of the greatest preachers in some of the most exciting meetings, but some of the times when God has spoke to me so profoundly has been in my room, in the commonness of my own house. Back in Adelaide when I was growing up and, you know, lived in a couple of places and when we got married in our first house, just a common house. And uh, wasn't anything special about the house. It was the first house. I remember we, we bought our first house with a $5,000 deposit. How cool is that? Man, I wish those days were back there again. <laughs> and I remember one day, and we were coming up to a youth camp, and, and uh, I went on a 21-day fast. I said, God, I want breakthrough, I want, 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 want breakthrough, I want breakthrough, I want breakthrough, I want breakthrough. remember one night, praying to about 3 o'clock in the morning, saying, Holy Spirit, I want breakthrough. God, I want you to speak to me. I want you to speak to me. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, not in my own heart, but out of the blue, I heard the voice of God, the audible voice of God. He said, you've asked me to come, here I am. Just that completely changed my life. Just an ordinary place where God brought his blessing and his favour. You see, we can ask the Holy Spirit in our ordinary lives to come and to bless us and to give us favour and to speak to us and to bring us guidance and direction. It doesn't need to be at a special place at a special time. The power of the gospel is the fact that it is so ordinary to transform our lives on a daily basis. You think about the Pentecostal movement that started in the early 1900s. Azusa Street. Notice the move of God didn't happen in the greatest cathedrals in Eastern or Western Europe. But the Pentecostal movement started in downtown L.A. That was really a barn with sheep and horses and cattle. And it was in that place amongst the smell of the hay and all the animal dung that the Spirit of God moved. Church, when we actually give our ordinary places to God, it's amazing what He will do in our lives. The problem with us is we go, oh, we'll wait till Sunday, we'll wait till a special event. I praise God. (laughs) I praise God that every Easter and Christmas... This place is absolutely packed. But also what grieves my heart is there are people that only ever come twice a year. And they come for the special event. But they're actually missing out on the ordinary way that God can move in their lives on a daily basis. The power of common ground. To move and to see the Holy Spirit move. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43 verse 22. God is speaking to his people and he says, you've not called upon me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, Israel. You have not not brought me sheep for burnt offerings nor honored me with your sacrifices. I've not burdened you with grain offerings or wearied you with demands of incense. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you've burdened me with your sin. The reality is, is you and I, we often weary ourselves with things that have no sustaining value in our lives. You think about right now, the world is weary. We are the richest of all generations. We've got houses, we've got cars, we've got everything. We've got technology, we've got everything. And yet the world is weary because we toil and we weary ourselves on things that bring no sustaining value to our lives. But when you pursue God and when you weary yourself on Him, He comes and brings a blessing and a favor that nothing else can actually fulfill in your life. It's the commonplaces, And my encouragement to you this morning is for this year and as you begin to look at what prayer and fasting has done in your own life over the last 21 days, just remember the common places where God wants to move in your daily desire to seek the face of God. It was not only a common place, but it was also a personal space. You see, the threshing floor was, 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 a, was a personal, a deeply personal space for this man. And God invades his personal space with God's purpose. If you think about it, the threshing floor was the place of of nourishment. It was a place where they would sustain their family. I want to ask you today, what, what is your personal space like? This space inside of you, where your heart and your values and your focuses and your priorities your dreams, your desires, even your, your ideology. You see, the threshing floor was a personal space for this man and it was the place that he would separate the wheat from the chaff, the good from the bad, the nourishment from that that had no nourishing value at all. You see, the reality is all of us have a personal threshing floor where we begin to wrestle with internally about what's good and what's not good, what's a priority and what is not a priority. It's in our personal threshing floor that our values are shaped. The things that we focus on, the things that we're going to let go, the good values, the bad values, the the, the truth and the lies, what will nourish us and what will destroy us. Our own personal threshing floor are often the things where we thrash out ideas. We thrash out what are we going to go for, what are we going to believe for, what are we going to expect for. And I guess my challenge for you this morning is give that over to God. Give your personal threshing floor over to the Holy Spirit. Allow Him to shape you. Listen, don't give your values over to the world. They're going to mess you up. Don't give your values over to the popular culture and what's popular at the time. Have you noticed the more the world tries to get it right, the more messed up we are? But when you give your values your personal threshing floor over to the Holy Spirit. See, the threshing floor is a a floor of personal devotion. It's the place where he fed his family. It's the place where he worked. It's the place that he sustained himself. His own threshing floor, it was his own personal workplace, the source of his productivity, the key to his sustenance. And he gives that over to God. And when you do the same thing, that personal dream, the personal goal, personal desire, personal hurt, personal pain, when you give that over to the Holy Spirit, that place that you reserve for you, when you say, God, I give that over to you, God begins to do something powerful. The grassroots of our faith is not corporate, it's personal. The grassroots of our faith is not corporate. It's personal. Yes, we meet in buildings and we celebrate together, but the foundation of our faith is deeply personal. That's why, that's why even governments around the world can't understand it. When often the values of the Christian faith go, to get, go directly against popular culture. And they, they just don't because it's not just subscribing to something that's been written on a wall. These things are deeply personal to us. Right? You know one of the biggest reasons why Christians were persecuted for their faith in the early church? It wasn't because they organised mass demonstrations against the Roman government. It wasn't because they had an issue with a particular um, thing that the government was doing. And so they started mass protests and they did mass demonstrations. That was not the reason why the early church was persecuted. One of the big reasons why the early church was persecuted was because of their personal worship and their personal commitments to Jesus. You see, the Roman rule in that day encouraged two types of worship. The first worship that it encouraged was worship to the emperor, and Emperor Caesar was one of the, the Julius, one of the greatest emperors around, and he almost had godlike status. And so, when his adopted son came into power, he kind of took on the pseudonym of Son of God. That was kind of the thing that he wanted to be known by, which was really problematic for the Christian church because then, when Jesus walked the earth, he was the actual Son of God. And so the Christians just said, that ain't the Son of God. We have found the true Son of God. And just the fact that they made a decision in their personal worship, that they were not going to worship the emperor, was so problematic for the early church. At the same time, in that Greco-Roman environment, there were a lot of Greek gods that the Romans had adopted. And it was around that idol worship and all these other gods that were around, there was, a lot of, um, uh, uh, there was a lot of industry that was happening around. So one of the issues with Ephesus, where we talk about Paul went through hell in Ephesus, was because you know, they were preaching and people were getting saved and they stopped actually going to the temple and spending all the money around the temple and all this particular industry that was happening. And so as a result of that, people were no longer going to the temple and spending money of food that was sacrificed to idols and industries were drying up because people were getting saved and were having a revelation of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so again, because they chose in their personal worship not to worship these false gods, it became problematic for the church. And so they were persecuted. Listen, not because of mass demonstrations but they will persecute it because of their personal worship. We see this in the history books. I thought I'd read this to you. I found this really interesting. It's amazing what you read when you're at home. You think I'm pretty knowledgeable today, aren't you? I've read a bit. The Roman governor, Pliny the Younger, wrote a troubled letter to the emperor, Trajan, he said the Christians in his proverbs were multiplying, and he was freaking out. He says, in fact, and I quote, the contagion of this superstition. <laughs> We've been called a virus. How cool is that? <laughs> the contagion of this superstition has spread not only through the free cities, but also to the villages and the rural districts. As a result, the temples are being deserted. The offerings to the official gods are neglected and meat from offerings made to, art, to gods is not able to be sold. So listen, they're freaking out. Listen, not because of mass demonstrations, not because of our public stand against the government, but because of our personal worship. Because of our personal worship. Understand the history of where our churches has come from. Not our church, but churches around the globe. I'm going to say the last two years, if they've made it about big demonstrations, no, it's about what actually God does in your own life. Right? So Pliny decided that he had to come down strongly on the Christians. And even though he discovered that their practices were rather harmless, such as meeting before daybreak once a week to recite a hymn to themselves and to Jesus he realised that just that in itself was causing problems for the Roman government. He just assumed that just being a Christian is illegal. But he couldn't actually, he didn't know of any other way how to resolve it, and so he came up with this particular test. He said that if the Christians were really real, then they would not make sacrifices to the ancient Greco-Roman gods. And so basically he said, hey listen, If you're a Christian, or sorry, if you think you're a Christian, then I want you to make a sacrifice. And if they couldn't, then he knew that they were real. And all the fake Christians will make sacrifices. They didn't care. But the real Christians said, no, we're not going to make sacrifices to their gods. And in their personal worship, they were persecuted and they died. Listen, not because of corporate mass demonstrations, but because of their personal convictions with what God was doing in their lives. And as a result, many died for their personal worship. But it was the very thing that exploded the early church. And church, as I read that, I began to think how back in the, 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 the early days, the Roman government wanted their personal loyalty. Listen, church, the, world, the enemy wants your personal world, your inner convictions, your personal threshing floor. He wants your personal focus. He wants your personal loyalty. He wants your personal attention. He wants your personal values. He wants them. Because if he has the inner you, then he has all of you. If he has the inner you, then he's got all of you. Your personal threshing floor, where God speaks to you, is the most valuable thing in your life. Don't you give it over to the world. Don't you give it over to the enemy. It is the very thing that God has redeemed you from. (laughs) Years later in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 74, one of my favourite passages, the psalmist is writing about a season where the temple is being destroyed and the invaders are coming in and they're wrecking the temple. It says this in Psalm 74 verse 4, it says, Your foe roared in the place where you met with us. They set up standards of signs. The enemy wants to roar in the place, in your personal space. The enemy wants to come in and roar, discouragement and fear and unbelief. But I want to say this, when you give that threshing floor over to the Holy Spirit, it has the power to redeem every other area of your life. Every other area of your life. The third one is this. Thank you. sacrificial spaces, the very act of surrender, the very act of sacrifice. This is not the first time that this place is mentioned in the Old Testament. It has a history. Maybe I didn't know the history because he was a Jebusite. He wasn't an Israelite. So maybe he didn't understand the significance of that moment. But it had a history. Mount Moriah was the same mountain where Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. In Genesis 22, verse 1 to 2. We've read this many times before. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And the Lord said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. There's a common theme here. Places of sacrifice. Places of surrender. Places of giving over. Places where God transforms and empowers. I don't have it all. I've been thinking about this. Again, when you're sick, you think a lot. But I think many times in the Christian in the Western world we get it wrong. But we think everything is about God blessing us. The power of your faith is not about the blessing. The power of your faith is about what you surrender to the Holy Spirit. And I guess the question is is that if you had nothing, would you be content? If everything was stripped away, would you be in a place of contentment? i tell you what, I've seen contentment in people that have nothing right across the globe. I remember preaching in a rubbish dump in Nepal. They asked me to come and they said, hey, we've just started this church. I said, where is it? It's in a rubbish dump. I said, fantastic. Let's go. And amongst the rubbish, there was this old shed of a couple of corrugated iron that they put together. And they began to worship God And as they did, the power of the Holy Spirit filled that room. And I thought, my Lord, I'm seeing more of the presence of God in a rubbish dump than I've seen in some churches around the Western world. It's not about the blessing of it. It's not about being blessed. It's about how much you surrender for the King of Kings. Yes, God wants the blessing. They're going to be wrong. Yes, God, but the blessing is not the priority. If the blessing is the byproduct, then praise God. Because sometimes the byproduct is not physically being blessed. Guess what? Someone's the byproduct is you having a deeper walk with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Someone's the, the benefit of you going through a season of pain is, there, is there, that there is a maturity that you have never, ever had before. I would rather be mature in my faith than have all the millions of dollars in the world because I want God to transform me on the inside. <laughs> Sacrificial places. I find it amusing here. That there is a contest here of who's going to pay full price for this piece of land. Which, I'll be honest, when I read it, is so counterintuitive to who I am. <laughs> I want to get a deal everywhere. One of the greatest things that you can ever say is, can you do better than that? <laughs> but we don't see that here. And sometimes we can kind of mistake for what is actually going on. See, See, this is not a competition between two men of who can be more generous. Do you know, um, a few years ago when we visited Frank's sister in Italy, she lives on the southern coast and uh, they, they run a business there and, um, and uh, so we, we, we were doing some stuff and so we came down there to spend a few days with them and uh, just a lovely part of the world and uh, so I'd get up early, I'd have my coffee and I thought, I'm going to have Italian coffee, hallelujah. And so I remember going to, to one of the cafes and there was a sign and it was written in, in Italian but it was also written in English. And it was a sign that was pretty prominent in a number of the cafes in this southern part of Italy. And the sign said something like this. It said, no shouting here. No shouting here. So, which is problematic for me because I just naturally have a loud voice. So I'm walking going, can I please have a cup of coffee? <laughs> can I have a biscuit with that? And I'm walking with Innes and I said, Frank sister, and I said, what is she's not, not loud shouting. She goes you're banned from actually paying for someone else's coffee. I said, really? I said, what a bunch of scabs. <laughs> she says, no, no, you don't understand. She goes, shouting got out of control. I said, really? She <laughs> I'd love to see that in Australia. How cool would that be? <laughs> she goes, well, what would happen is that it was an unsaid rule in this particular part of, in, in the town where if you were catching up with a group of people Whoever was the first person waiting in the cafe would have to pay for everyone else's coffee. And soon it became a status thing. I've paid for everyone's coffee. (laughs) I've paid for that croissant. I've even paid for you that's had ham and cheese on your croissant. And soon it just got out of control. He goes, soon, in order for people to make a good impression with their family and their friends, they, 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 they would end up paying for everyone and then they started to pay for people on the street because if no one rocked up for their meeting they'd call some guy off the street hey I'll pay for your cup of coffee soon she said they started having people yelling out hey I'll pay for that cup of coffee I'll pay for that cup of coffee she goes shouting got out of control and then soon it reached a tipping point where no one wanted to shout and so no one would actually rock up early for the cafe because no one wanted to be the first one there So a 9 o'clock meeting would probably start at 1 p.m. in the afternoon because everyone's hiding in their cars, making sure I'm not going to be the first one because I'm sick and tired of shouting, people. She said shouting just got out of control. People went nuts with shouting because everyone wanted to outdo each other. Everyone, Everyone wanted to impress one another. Look how generous I am. Look how kind I am. This is not what's going on here. You see, often many times in life, we often view generosity and kindness like that. With the end goal that we will be blessed. If I'm kind, then it's going to come back. I understand the principle of sowing and reaping. Don't get me wrong, I get it. If I'm kind, if I'm generous, then i know it'll come back to me. But this is not even the thought process of Arona and David. Because this is not about them being blessed. There is a genuine desire to be sacrificial to God because He is God and they love Him so much. The sacrificial places where we give without expecting anything in return. A hunger to honour God and to give to Him. No agenda. You know the spaces that God blesses? Are the spaces where you and I just don't have any agenda. We're going to reach the poor and the broken because we don't have an agenda. Oh, we have an agenda, we want to look after them. You know what I love about our missions program? Right? Is the very fact that when we give, we don't give with an agenda. This is not about putting our name on the wall, this is not about building a campus overseas. This is not about having influence. This is just about us blessing the local congregations and the local people in those areas because they need them the most and there we are coming with no agenda whatsoever. And the spaces that God blesses is the spaces that you go, I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to give to him and I'm going to surrender. Not because blessing is my primary goal. But just because I want to honor him and I love him and I care about him so much because he's done so much for me, I just want to bless the Lord. How refreshing. The spaces of no agenda. Just pure and simple trust. What powerful life-giving freedom. Church, you know when we operate out of agendas, life becomes really messy. When we operate out of agendas and do that or get that and if I do that or listen, life just becomes messy. You don't need to live like that. Why? Because God has got a wonderful agenda for you and I. He knows the plans that He's got for you. trust in those plans. You don't need to live life on an agenda because God's got an agenda over your life. Put you first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. My focus is about just putting God first. Some of those things will get out it. They won't get out it. I don't care. I just want to put God first in my life. And here we see with Arona and David a desire to bless the Lord without an agenda. And what we see is God takes that ordinary piece of dirt and builds his temple upon it. And when I read that, I was reminded again what I said before. That's the, that's the grassroots of our faith. The grassroots of our faith is not corporations, not the big thing. It's this simple desire for us to say, Holy Spirit, the spaces that are so personal to us, we're going to give them over to you because we know that they're better in your hands than what they are in ours. Amen? Those personal spaces.